Listen, we are entering into a new series of messages, and I want to make some declarations out today. I want you to hear them. I want you to meditate and think on them. Jesus is our counselor. Jesus is our God. Jesus is our father and Jesus is our peace. And I really want those words to kind of resonate and think about them because there's some, uh, there's some exclusivity in, in some of those statements. There's some very much inclusivity in those statements. There are some that people would push back on and there was, well, what does that mean? And so hopefully we can look at the book of Isaiah, which is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. And we're going to look at a prophecy that was given years before, because when I think about counselors, when I think about fathers, when I think about God, what kind? I mean, because there's lots of versions of them out there, if you will. Not all counselors are created the same. All right. I, I, I know a lot of counselors, refer a lot of people to counselors, and not all counselors are created equal. Okay. So get that down. And, and then not all gods are created equal. So what God are we talking about here? Is it which God of the 300 or 33 million Hindu gods are we talking about? They'll just throw Jesus right in the mix because there's 300 or let me see, 33 million Hindu gods. In fact, just think about that for a moment. If that was your faith and you were to pray to a God every day, a different God every day, and you were to spend all of your life, would you even be able to hit all of the gods that they had? Answer is that is no. In fact, it would take you 90,410 years to hit every single God and give them just one day of your life. So again, not all gods are created equal. In fact, there's a lot of places in this world that don't even know the God. So when I say Jesus is God, there's a lot of people who don't even know who Jesus is. We heard a little bit about that last week if you were a part of us. But in fact, 4.6 billion people in this world of 6 billion people in this world, they don't have a clear message of who Jesus is. There's less than 2% of their population know who Jesus is. Now, to me, I've heard of social injustice, racial injustice. There's even environmental injustice. That is a spiritual injustice. The fact that we would have so many churches, we'd have so many Bibles, we would have so many opportunities to hear the gospel and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but yet there's still 4.6 billion people who have not yet had a chance to hear. And so I want us to lean into that. And you heard last week, uh, again, Caleb and Johnny were here on the stage and they shared about a people group that's in this world, that there's 40,000 of them and only one known believer. And we're in the next several months are spending a time in prayer, praying for them. And I hope that you signed up and are a part of that, uh, of that prayer challenge, because here's what we can know about prayer. Prayer is the first line of offense, not defense. It's the first line of offense that we need to step up to. And I'm going to give you three calls to action today in the beginning that I want you to pay close attention to, because maybe you'll want to take action immediately on them. But one of those is to be a part of our prayer emphasis a praying for this people that we're calling the little horse people. That's not their real name, but that's what their name translates into. All right. So we think about this little horse people. And if you're interested in praying or just say, hey, I can't do this. I can't do that. But can you pray? And, you know, would you pray for the little horse people every day for the next several months together? If you want to join that campaign, then be a part of it. The great thing about prayer, prayer is the first line of fence, but it's not the last line. 
It is the first line that we should lead with, but it is not the last line. This is the way S.D. Gordon said it. You can do more than pray after you prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Prayer is the first thing. It's not the last thing. It is the first thing, and I'm able to do more once I prayed, but until I prayed, I can't. So prayer is the first thing. And that's the call that I'm, uh, the first call to action is be a part of our prayer emphasis right now and into the future of praying for more than just one believer among the little horse people. But as, as you think about that and you, and you kind of lean in on that, notice that next statement. We can do more than pray after we pray. What is the more? What could we do more? Well, if we think about the little horse people and we just zero in on them for the next few months, what could we do? What could we be a part of beyond prayer, beyond prayer? What could we do to help the little horse people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or by the word of God. So faith comes by hearing. Okay, I got to hear it. And how do I hear it? I hear it because I have a copy. I have this in my language. The reality is this little horse people, they don't have a Bible. They don't have a church. They don't have a missionary. They don't have, they don't have, they don't have. And most of them only speak their mother tongue. So how are they ever going to hear? How are they ever going to believe? How are they ever going to trust in Jesus if they've never heard? So what we're going to do as a church, again, I'm inviting every one of you to be a part of this, is that this Christmas, our Christmas offering, a portion of our Christmas offering is going to go to help Wycliffe Bibles, who've been translating Bibles for 75 years, help translate the Bible into the little horse people, and particularly Grace Point is adopting the, one of the largest books in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Okay, so in this Christmas season, think about it like this. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. It's $1,000 to translate one chapter at a time, so you can do the easy math on that. What if we as a church said, okay, Grace Point is going to help translate the, God, the, the book of Genesis, the very first book, the foundation for everything, the, the, the introduction to God's story, but we're going to help translate that into the little horse language. And so next year, beginning in January, I'm going to begin sharing through the book of Genesis. My series is going to start in Genesis. While we're reading Genesis, wouldn't it be beautiful that the little horse people are getting the book of Genesis? translated into their language all at the same time. Be a part of that. That's what our goal is. That's what our challenge is. That's the second call to action. Be praying about how you can be a part. Listen, Jesus is our counselor. Jesus is our God. Jesus is also our father. And uh, let me say this about fathers. Not every father is created the same. All right? There are some fathers that are very intentional, very, very, very on track, very on purpose with their life. And there are some that are very passive. There are some fathers that should be emulated. There are other fathers that should be incarcerated. And so we just kind of think about the spectrum of that. Not every father is the same. What kind of father is Jesus? We're going to talk about that. But what kind of, G- what kind of peace is this? Listen, we're in a world of turmoil, right? We're in a world where we can't seem to get along about the simplest things. Family members are infighting. Couples are splitting up. It's incredible the tension that is palpable in the air today. Well, how are we going to deal with this? Jesus is our peace. But I'm not just saying he's any kind of peace. He's any kind of father. He's any kind of counselor. He's any kind of God. He is, according to Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to be for the next four times we meet together. He is the wonderful counselor. That's what we're going to talk about today. He is the mighty God. 
He's not just a God. He's not one of 33 million gods. He is the mighty God. He is the eternal father. He is the prince of priests on Christmas Eve night. We're going to come back together. In fact, Christmas Eve day, we're going to come back together and we're going to meet four different times. We have Christmas Eve gatherings on a regular basis. It's our second largest attended gathering next to Easter. Do that in the COVID world and you'll be written up in the papers. All right. So we're not going to do it like that. We're not going to have two gatherings. We're going to have not three gatherings, but four gatherings. We're going to start at 11 in the morning. We're going to go and we're going to have one at one and we're going to have one at three. We're going to have one at five. We're going to have four different gatherings. We're going to sanitize and fog this room up between gatherings. So you come bring family and friends. We're going to have an after party on the lawn praying it's not snowing or maybe we do want to snow on Christmas Eve, but we're going to have an after party kind of time together. So it's going to be a lot of time sharing together, social distancing. And thank God he has protected our church in so many ways. By the way, when I finish this next statement, you need to give a big amen to this because God has done some incredible things showing favor. We have had a number of people, well over 30 of our members have contracted COVID. None of them have contracted it in our worship gathering. So thank you for social distancing. Thank you for wearing masks. Thank you for sanitizing. It's paying off and God is showing us favor. Every one of our members have has recovered and thank the Lord for that. So that's an amen. 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 All right. So keep it up. But on Christmas Eve, we still want to keep it about 30 to 35% occupancy in the room, but we're going to incredible time together. So if you want to be a part of that and you want to reserve your spot and you need to, I'm sorry to say that, but you need to, uh, please text in right now, GPC Christmas to 97000, and you can go ahead and choose what service. And there are limited numbers. We do have caps on each of those gatherings together. So that is the uh, the, the third call to action, if you will. Uh, as we look at our text today, look at the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Because the series is called The Gift. And it, what do you do with gifts? You unwrap them, right? Or if you're a kid, you rip them apart, throwing things in all kinds of directions to get at the gift. We're going to week by week pull back the layers of our Christmas gift. The Christmas gift of Jesus, the gift of God's presence will be the greatest present you will ever get in your life. The gift of his presence. Now, what does his presence mean? It means that he is my wonderful counselor. He is my mighty God. He is my eternal father. He is my prince of peace. He is with me. He is in me. He's a part of me. And let us not miss that. Because if Jesus is arm's length in your life, if he's just a a, a figment in history, a, a, a fictional character, if he's not in and present with you, you are missing the greatest gift of Christmas. So let us, in this day of gloom and doom, let us unwrap the presence of his presence in us. Okay. So look at Isaiah chapter nine and notice the very first words in Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. But there will be no gloom. What a day that's going to be, right? What a day. Isaiah's writing this while they're under, under captivity and in exile. And they are looking for the day that Babylon is conquered, Assyrians are conquered, and they are back in their motherland. And there is no more gloom. Now, I think we look at our, our, our world today and I think we can see a ton of gloom, Right? I look out there right now and I see, I, listen, I, I, I'm not fearful of COVID. I, I have a respect for COVID, okay? 
Uh, however, I am fearful of what COVID not does in me, but God, what COVID will do around me. I see the ripple effect of COVID greater than what I see on the inside of what COVID can do to the body many times. And I'm talking about the residual long-term effects. Yes, COVID can take lives. Most people recover from it. And I thank God that all of our people have recovered. But the reality is that many people are suffering. And they're suffering beyond just what COVID virus has done. COVID COVID has caused relational disintegration. It has increased loneliness and depression and stress and anxiety. Uh, it's created disorders and, and, and manifestations in ways that you can't exactly just pinpoint until you start looking at the reality of our society, filling the tension in the air. In the past nine months, COVID drug overdoses has increased 13%. And I can give you the sources of all of these. The request for divorce in Great Britain alone has gone up 40% in one country alone. I was reading in Fortune magazine, the article's titled, The Biggest Risk in Business Right Now. The biggest risk in business right now is COVID-19 and its effects upon the workforce. It called it a traumatized workforce because parents and families and workers and suppliers are having to learn to cope in a world that's so different, how they interact with different people and the different COVID sensitivity levels and how some people get offended because you're wearing a mask. Some people get offended because you're not wearing a mask and because you have to deal with those offenses and because you have to educate your kids. And you realize that there's some places across America that kids will not have gone to school for an entire year. Wow. Wow. What will that do to the education of our society? Plus, I've got to sell product. I've got to get product. So the stress level is through the roof. In this article, they said that, uh, that 75% of the employees in, uh, that they surveyed are saying that they are contemplating our feelings of burnout. And some of the greatest affected are those in the medical industry. 59% of the medical workforce are reporting a decline in their mental health. And this is what they are. I want to read this whole quote to you. Since the start of the pandemic, doctors and nurses and, pan, and paramedics and others have witnessed many patients' deaths at an all-time highs while putting their own health at risk. If you got anybody in the health industry, you need to pray and pray hard for them because they're facing increased risk of developing PTSD. A nationally traumatized workforce constitutes the greatest business risk in our society. We're stressed. We're overwhelmed. I am respectfully fearful of what COVID might do to me. I'm greater fear of what it might do to us, around us, in shaping us. What we need, how do we navigate through the gloom? But, but Isaiah said that there will be no more gloom. Here's the reality, is that gloom's going to be there. But what will we have to cope with the gloom? And I want to say that's where you insert the presence of Jesus, to help you cope with the gloom that may come upon us, that we will come upon us. So in Isaiah chapter 9, let's look at the prophecy uh, passage here, uh, probably one of the more, more familiar prophecy passages. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For, uh, for to us a child is born. 
to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. And here's the outline of this message series right here. You can't miss it. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's what we have in the promise and the person of Jesus, okay? And so when I say that he's the one, uh, he's the counselor, he's more than just a counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. When I say, notice every one of these uh, descriptions, these persons has a, has a promise to, tied to it, has, a, has an adverb or an adjective to, to, to describe it. It's mighty God, not just a God, everlasting father, not just a father, the prince of peace, not just peace. He is more than just peace. He is so much more than that. And he is more than just a counselor. He is a counselor. Let's talk about the person. And every week we're going to talk about the person. And we're going to talk about the promise. The person, first of all, he, who is Jesus? Jesus is our counselor. He brings us out of the darkness and he brings us into the light. Listen, you, you, you find Mike on a good day. You find Mike on a non-COVID year and Mike's going to have a couple of counselors in his phone that he's going to reach out to at any given moment. On a good year, I have counselors that I meet with because I need to sort through my junk because I've got to sort through my emotions because I've got to figure th- some things out. So I have no problem with telling people that I see somebody regular on a, on the reg in a non-COVID year. You put it in 2020 and they're on speed dial. And I'm on, I, I, I'm going to meet with them and I'm going to sort through things. I got things and I got feelings and I got emotions because I need a counselor. When I did my undergraduate, I got a, a minor, minor in counseling, which means nothing. Okay. That means I have enough education in family counseling to be dangerous is what that means. Or I have enough education uh, in, in, in a minor to, to know what I don't know. Okay. That's what a minor is. So that was my minor. But here's what I know about a counselor. A counselor helps us move from the darkness into the light. Helps us to sort through a lot. Who is this? Look at verse, verse one. We read it a few moments ago. There will be no gloom. Why is there no gloom? Is because there's not gloom out there? No, gloom's out there. COVID's out there. Unemployment's out there. Medical risks are out there. Depression's out there. Anxiety's out there. No, no, I'm not saying those are going to go away. But what's going to happen is we're going to see the light come on into the gloom. Verse two. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. See, the gloom is still there for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people who will refuse Jesus and keep him at arm's length. But those who embrace Jesus as their counselor, those are going to be the ones who are going to step out of the gloom into the light and experience the light that Jesus wants to give them. Not the religion, the light. Not the do's and don'ts, the light. The light will give you guidance through life. John chapter 8, verse 12, makes it very clear who the light is, where the light is. It's found in a person. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You don't follow him, you're going to walk in darkness. You follow him, you will walk in light and will have the light of life. Now, I know when I talk about a counselor, there's a lot of guys that I talk to. I can't say that the ladies are so much the case. But a lot of guys put their arms up when it talks about a counselor. I don't need a counselor. I don't need a head shrink. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. 
I don't need somebody to tell me that my mama put my diaper on too tight when I was a kid. And that's, that, that wounded me for my life. It's more than that. You need a confident somebody who will be with you through the complexities of life and help you sort through it. Yes, unpack the past. Yes, have clarity for the future. Yes, know how to cope in the present. I believe in Jesus as a part of my counseling regiment, okay? As a part of the counselors of my life. And here's the beauty of it, is that whenever I understand that Jesus is my counselor, what I'm embracing is that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. When I, when I say that, don't, don't let that just fall on deaf ears. He's with us. We come at Christmas time to celebrate Jesus with us. It's, his name is God with us. If you're in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to skip over back to Isaiah chapter 7. By the way, there are 35 different direct references in Isaiah to a coming Messiah that's going to come 800 years. Now think about that. 800 years from the time that, that Isaiah gives this prophecy, there's going to be a guy going to enter into this world named Jesus. This Jesus guy is going to be the Messiah. And Isaiah, 800 years, is prophesying his coming 35 different times. Now, if you're a math nerd, you tell me the, the chances of accuracy on that. We'll talk about that next week. Of somebody being accurate 35 times, 800 years in advance of somebody being able to fulfill that level of prophecy. Well, that's what we have with Jesus. Jesus is God with us. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, back over, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. We recognize that as God with us, that Jesus Christ comes and lives and dwells with us. Joseph in the New Testament, fast forward the 800 years, Joseph in the New Testament found out that his fiance was pregnant. He knew from his first lesson in the birds and the bees that that wasn't his kid. And so what does he do? He's going to call it off. He's going to break off the engagement. He's going to put her out. He's going to do it respectfully, but he's going to put her out and he's going to move on. All of a sudden, God sends an angel to him in the middle of the night, wakes him up and says, hey, by the way, that, that don't, don't put her away. You need to go ahead and marry her because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and the angel quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That was written 800 years prior to his coming. He comes to this earth and Joseph hears it, that Emmanuel is coming. The beauty of God is with us. We are not alone. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Since 1200, okay, 1200 the words to Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel, were chanted by the monks, okay? There have been several iterations since that time up to the present time of us singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But what are we saying? We are praying a prayer. Oh, God, please come. Here's why I need a counselor. I need a counselor because I need God with me. Because this world is full of gloom and I need light. And he is my light. He is my counselor. He is with me. And we have been chanting that song for for, since 1,200 years. That, that, that it's incredible to think about that. We've been saying, O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
But then you skip over and you go to John chapter 14, verse 16, and it says this, and I, ask, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor and he will be with you forever. See, Jesus isn't with us, but God sent the Father, the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit to be with us. You see the Godhead, the three-in-one God, all working in unison with each other. And they are present with us. God is with us. God is also for us. When he's your counselor, he is for us. What's he doing? He is counseling us. He's directing us. He's steering us. He's telling us what to avoid. He's giving us the answers to the test. John chapter 14, verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. He will remind you of everything. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I told you. How many of y'all have prayed this prayer with your kids? How many of y'all prayed this when you were a kid growing up? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed that prayer or ever prayed it with your kids. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's a, that's a fine prayer to pray. But notice that it only focuses on when you're sleeping and when you're dying. There's a whole life. What about when you're living? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Is there, is there not any more that God helps us with than when we're sleeping and when we're dying? There's actually another phrase that we never pray it because I don't know that we want to pray it. And if I should live another day, I pray the Lord to guide my way. See, if he's your counselor, he's with you. And he's also for you. He's giving you the answers to the test as you live it out. Are you listening? Are you leaning in? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Who wouldn't want that? He's your counselor. He'll guide you. Or you can guide yourself and live with the consequences of it. Number two, the promise is he's wonderful. He's not just a counselor. Again, not all counselors are created equal. He is the wonderful counselor. There are four roles, again, that are played out here. They're, they're qualitative roles here. The, 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 he is a quality counselor. He's In the word wonderful counselor, it means to be able to cause wonder, okay? It's not that, that, that rocket scientist, but to cause wonder in a situation. It's miraculous. It's the Hebrew word for miraculous. It's the word Pele, and it's used 13 different times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Pele, uh, it's wonderful. It's miraculous. It's astounding. It can't be copied. It can't be reproduced. It's, It's divine. And listen, the only time this word Pele is ever used, it's always used in association with God. So God is always and only the one who is wonderful. So this is not just some anybody, everybody can be a wonderful person. This is the God of the universe becomes in to live with you and abide with you and becomes your wonderful counselor. That's pretty big news. And it's miraculous. It's incredible. It's breathtaking. 
And when I think about that, I, 13 different times in the Old Testament this word is used. I just began to look at several of them this past week. One of those times, I'm reading right now Exodus in my own personal time with the Lord, and I'm well into the end, nearly to the end, but I can remember back in the, about the middle of the book, about chapter 14, it was a critical time in the people of Israel. They had been released from Pharaoh. Pharaoh had let them go. They were released through a series of circumstances, and they were marching out, and they came to the, to the waters of the Red Sea, and their toes would feel the water lapping up on them, and all they could see between them and the other side was water, enough to drown them. But also behind them, they could hear the the chariots and they could hear the camels and they could hear the horses' footprints beating in the sand because Pharaoh had changed his mind and he was coming back to take them back to slavery. So you can imagine with me just a moment here, their, their, their toes are in the waters that will drown them and they have, they, have, they have their enemies ready to enslave them. They are surrounded nearly to die. What are you going to do when everything in your life, when you look ahead, looks ominous and everything behind you looks like slavery? There's a lot of people who get caught up in that right there. That is the view of their life. What are you going to do unless you have a wonderful counselor? To help you navigate the waters. What happens? They, they obey the Lord. They step up to the water. The water parts. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. The Pharaoh's army comes in. What happens? You know it from your first day in Sunday school. The waters collapse on them. They drowned all the soldiers. And they're on the other side. That's chapter 14. You go to chapter 15. And they just begin to worship God. Because God has done this incredible work. And then they write these words in verse 11. Who is like you? Oh, Lord, among the gods. Remember, not all gods are created. They just came from a land where Pharaoh was the god. They've lived in fear of Pharaoh the god. There's no other god like you who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, Pele, doing incredible miraculous things. Thank God they got to the shores of the water with fear in front of them and captivity behind them and they continued to listen to the counsel of God. The wonderful counsel of God. Another person that this one word used 13 times refers to is Job. Job, man, you talk about a hot mess. You just read chapter one and you'll be depressed. You'll think your life looks like a walk in the park. In one day, the man loses his wealth his health, and his children, which to lose your children meant more than just lost your children. You lost your social security because your children took care of you when you're older in life. And so basically, he had no present and no future. It was gone in a day. That was his life. Job chapter 1. His wife even said, you know what? It'd be better for you to curse God and die. Now, that's a counselor you don't want to listen to. If your counselor tells you just go kill yourself, no, no, it's wrong. Curse God and die. He doesn't. He continues to plow through and you can read through Job and you can hear his friends and you can hear his struggles. But you come to the end of the book in chapter 37, verse 16, and you see that word wondrous. It says, do you know the balancing of the clouds? Do you know the one who made this universe, who's balancing it all out, even when it seems chaotic and out of order? Do you know the one who's balancing it all out? Let me tell you about him. The wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Job leaned in on his relationship with God. 
He didn't pull back from his relationship with God. What do you do when you have waters in front of you that will drown you and you have slavery behind you that wants to take you? What do you do? You step up and you follow the counsel of God. It's wonderful counselor in you, with you, for you, in your life. This past week, I've had an opportunity just to sort through my life and some areas and thinking through some chapters of my life. I, I, I look through my life in, through seasons or chapters. And different chapters have different headings and different seasons and different places in my life. And it just so happens it's about five different or maybe six different chapters that I can pinpoint in my life. Not tied to the five decades that I've been around on this earth, but somehow it just works out that way. And, and, and in that, I, I was looking at the chapters and the chapter headings and the pivotal moments. And here's one common ground about every one of the chapters in my life. Every chapter in my life came with a fork in the road with a decision to be made, a counsel to seek, a voice to listen to and to be heard. It was a fork. And sometimes it was between good and evil and sometimes it was between good and best. And so you come to those forks in your road and what do you do with them? Well, I even look back at 2020 and I go back to October of 2019 and I go through this past year and I don't know it yet, still sorting it all out, still mapping it all out. But I think maybe I'm going to call this another chapter beginning in my life. I don't know. But that's, that's kind of epic seasons that you go through. But here's what I've learned. When you come to those forks in the road, you're going to have to decide whose voice you're going to listen to, whose counsel you're going to follow. I have never, ever at any of the five or six chapters in my life have I ever come to a fork in the road that I regret, and I've not always done the right thing, but I've never regret following the counsel of God. Never. It may cost. It may be painful. The adjustments may be real. It may be deep. And I may not like it, but I never, ever regret it. And I think about Jim Elliott. He makes this statement. He says, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. And if you know Jim Elliott's story, that was not always an easy thing. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says, there will be no gloom. It's not a promising you a pie in the sky life, utopia without any problems. No, 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 no. There will be no gloom because what happens? The light shines into the gloom and out goes the darkness. The people who walked in darkness will have seen a great light. My question to you today is, are you walking in the light or are you walking in the darkness? If you don't know Jesus today, I invite you, I encourage you to say this to him, O come, O come, O come, O come, Emmanuel, I want you with me. I need you with me. More than anything else, I want you, Jesus. Next week, we are going to celebrate baptisms. And every one of those who will be baptized will be saying with their bodies and their minds and their lives, I am a follower of Jesus. I am for Jesus and Jesus is for me. Jesus is with me and he is in me. And I am wanting and I am living in the light of his glory. Would you bow your head with me? Oh, come. O come, O come, 
Emmanuel. God, you are with us. God, you are for us. God, you are wanting to guide us with wonderful, miraculous, divine counsel if we will only follow you. Lord, we may be at the water's edge looking at death in front of us and fear behind us of enslavement, but may we follow you into the waters, into the difficulties, and know that you will do wondrous Lord please come oh come Emmanuel